How are you doing? Very well, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this. I know it took a long time for us to coordinate. And we I'm didn't so give glad. up easy. No, we did not give up, and um, I think it's, it's going to be worth it. So I'm so excited to speak with you, and we were finally able to make it happen. Thanks for having me. Um, so you own... Um, a bunch of or three vintage cinemas. We uh, do, and that's the yeah. name of the company, Vintage, vintage cinemas. cinemas. Yeah, um, the Los Feliz Three Cinema on Vermont, right? The Vista on Sunset, and uh, the Village in uh, Coronado. That's correct. All right, and um, what's the? How did you take over these facilities? When did you take over these uh, theaters, and what shape were they in when you first? That's a great question. Yeah. It's going to be a long answer. Okay. <laughs> um, this is back in 19, ooh, 1988 or so, around that time, 89. Um, I, the first theaters that we actually acquired were the two Los Angeles theaters, the Vista and the Los Feliz. And okay. um, they were owned by somebody else at the time. I was the manager, the general manager for that person. Uh, they had um, some other theaters uh, in Northridge, in Santa Fe Springs, in San Diego. Um, things uh, did not go well uh, in the end for this person. And um, one day the uh, lenders came uh, knocking at the door and uh, wanted to speak to me and said, hey, this person is gone. We, we're owed all this money. If you would like to pay it all back, it's all yours. Wow. Yeah. So the thing about that is it sounds all fun, but it was... Uh, it was close to seven hundred thousand dollars, which back in nineteen eighty nine was a lot more than it is today. And it's still a lot. Uh, and it's still nothing. Yeah. It's it's a decent amount of money. Yeah. And um, but uh, at that particular time, I was younger than I am today, and I also uh, looked at everything and said, I don't really have much to lose because I I didn't. I really I didn't have anything to lose, and I figured that taking a chance. Uh, the worst thing that was going to happen was we weren't going to be able to pay it back and we would be out anyway. Yeah. So um, I said, sure. In hindsight, I wish I had maybe negotiated uh, a little bit more yeah. and said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, 200000 looks like it's personal expenses. Right. Maybe we don't want to pay Let's that back. Deal. But, right. you know, like I said, it's done. So mm -hmm. uh, that's how we got the two L.A. theaters and kind of got rolling. Um the uh, Los Feliz uh, had just been uh, converted from a single screen uh, seating about 765 to a three screen theater, which now seats about 260. So from the early 20s until the 70s, it was one theater and then uh, it became three? Till about, uh, I believe it was like 1989, they, they converted oh, it. Oh, 89. And, yeah, 89. And, and from 1934, when it was actually built. Oh, 34, I'm sorry. Yeah, the for Vista Los Feliz. Vista is 1923. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was a single screen. Uh, we actually still have all of the, the photos. We took photos before they, and I, again, I was just the manager at the time, but yeah. that's what we did. And um uh, it, it was converted in a way that I will just say that uh, if we had converted it, if Vintage had converted it, I think we would have maybe done it a little bit differently than they did it. Um, you know, the, the theater, when it opened uh, with that conversion, had a lot of criticism from the uh, audience, and, and rightly so, the way it was converted. Can you explain, uh, like, how, how, what was the criticism or what, what wasn't uh, appealing about it? Um, I think the, the biggest problem people had is um, the, the screening rooms are 
they're they're very small. They're they're uh, under sixty seats. Mm. So I think when the audience that was used to going to the Los Feliz and having this large screen came in and saw that everything had been reduced, I I don't think they were very happy. And um, I I you know I we had uh, the movie The Last Emperor was. Mm-hmm. I think that was that was uh, I, I may be mistaken on that title, so d- d- I'm not going to I'm going <laughs> to retract that. But w- the the first movie I remember the first weekend it was um, there were a lot of complaints about what what had been done to the place and um, the screens in the screening rooms are are kind of elevated and you know I hate kicking our own operation, but I mean the the truth is is that's really what it is and mm. I know what we have and. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, we've tried to make up for it by w- once we got it. We've tried to make up for it with some cosmetics and some uh, uh, what I would call eye candy to try to just make it as nice as we can. Uh, ultimately, you know, if somebody wanted to spend a million bucks, you'd have to take down the walls and yeah, redo it. <laughs> but it's a beautiful theater. Well, thanks. Yeah, we've done we've done the best we could with what we have to work with. Um, and uh, I, th- I certainly think it's better than it was when it originally was uh, cut up. But, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's a problem because I, I have to tell you, uh, people have so many choices these days for media. And especially in this town, they, they don't have to come to us. So we're always humbled and happy that uh, they, they do come. We were talking a little bit before we started about uh, there was a showing earlier today of Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park, Mm -hmm. and uh, that there was a good turnout for that. And um, I mean, do you think that people are longing for nostalgia of uh, the past and those uh, like seeing something on an IMAX screen is not as important to them or that seeing something on a giant screen with an you know IMAX crazy surround sound takes away from actually appreciating the cinematic quality of a film uh you know I I think nostalgia is probably always in vogue yeah uh, and I I um I think that's why the three places we have partly do as well as they do because uh you you don't get to go to what I would call a, a real movie theater quote unquote um these days, because most of them have either been leveled or they've been turned into churches or bookstores or anything but a movie theater. And there's good reasons why that's happened. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think this nostalgia factor is definitely there. But in the case of uh, today, as we were talking, um, Jurassic Park this morning, uh, you know, 25 years old or somewhere around there, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I noticed that the people that showed up today had, there were a lot of uh, children and young people in the audience with what appeared to be parents. And I think that, uh, you know, there's that there's nostalgia right there. The parents want to relive that experience that they had back in the, the 90s, and they want to share that with their uh, child. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a packed house. Uh, the movie was shown on film, 35 millimeter film, compared to digital, which is what is the standard today. And um, they, the audience just couldn't have been more excited. Uh, part, they participated. They, they knew some of the lines that were coming. It was a, it was a big hit. And, uh, you know, I got to give the plug to the Secret Movie Club, which is the um, organization that runs these classic movies. They've done a tremendous job. And uh, they, they've got a lo- long list of movies coming through the end of ni- uh, 2019. Was that a difficult transition to go from film to digital? And um, I, I mean, I'm sure from 
is it is it easier to use the digital? Was there problems with the film? I know sometimes, like I remember going to see movies and the film would stop and they'd have mm-hmm. to like respool it or whatever. That's a great question. Uh, you know, um, back in the day when when I was a doorman at a movie theater, uh, movies were shown on film, thirty five millimeter. Uh, there weren't any automated systems in those days. There were union projectionists that actually ran the movies reel to reel. If the movie was six reels, there would be six changeovers with two different projectors from one back and forth every 20 minutes. Um, And I don't think that the 35 millimeter format was ever really designed to be run by uh, the manager of the movie theater. It was, it was designed for, for the the way they designed it. And um, yeah, that created a lot of um, technical problems. Um, uh, especially in the early days, more so than as the thing finally got the norm. Um, you know, managers were not necessarily technically inclined. They were managers. Um, you know, would you, would you have a hotel manager running a, a movie projector? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Same thing in a movie, with a movie theater manager. And um, film would break. Um, things would uh, go down. And, uh, you know, the people that were not uh, technically minded weren't, you know, were there on a ship without a paddle and there was no way to, to, um, to get back on screen. So digital is good in that respect because it is totally automated. Uh, it starts and stops by itself. It, it knows when to go on screen. No one has to do anything. And um, the, the, the only problem for digital for a person like me that was accustomed to film and if something were to break on the projector, you know, I could get over to the venue and fix it myself quickly, is that with digital, um, you, you can't do that. You really do have to have somebody come out. And it, it's so, uh, the projectors are very expensive. They're $100,000 each. Wow. Yeah, and they, um, you know, they're they're very uh, different types of machines. You know, they're they're electronically oriented, so cards go out or electronic devices inside goes out. They're not like gears with film, with tangible film, with holes that are in you know are in the print, and it's a different, totally different animal. So, uh, overall, digital has um, you know. Uh, safety guards compared to film, but I, I have to tell you, when you say it was a difficult, um, for me, we were one of the last theater companies that actually went digital because I held out as long as I could hold out, and uh, I, I, I was, you know, really a film fan, and um, you know, at the end of the day, the studio said, if you if you don't convert by this date, you're not going to be able to play first run movies because they're not going to make film prints anymore. So that's really what convinced me that it was time uh, to, to do it. But, um, uh, you know, you have to be able to, you know, cha- things do change and, you, you know, you either have to get with it or get out. And uh, we finally got with it. But uh, we're still very fond of film. And it's, uh, like I said, on the Secret Movie Club, people showing these classics. It's great to actually see film on the screen still, even in the di- you know, this day of digital. Do they still make the film prints for new movies? Or it's just after the Great fact. question. Yeah. Occasionally they do. Um, people like uh, Quentin Tarantino are married to film. Uh, I think he just shot his new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, on mm-hmm. film. I expect, uh, will not be surprised at all if Sony uh, requests that we play it on film because we've played all of his movies on film. J.J. Uh, Abrams, the first Star Wars that uh, came out in the new series, Force Awakens, um, came into the theater, uh, you know, because he's a, he's kind of a, a semi-guest there, has been. 
And um, we ended up playing that on film, which didn't expect it, but Force Awakens was on film. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's film, um, Phantom Thread, was on film. Uh, You know, it's interesting now when you show first-run movies on film, in the old days, you would have previews and stuff to go along with it. Now they don't make any of that. So the solution for us has been, and I'm, I'm just kind of plugging us now, is we throw on a cartoon, a classic cartoon, with right? The refreshments? Yeah. yeah. Just, no, a real, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon oh. or one of those, that, oh. you know, uh, those eight-minute cartoon to take up the... Oh, the time. The, the, the time for that people to get previews. seated and they're trying to get parked and they, they come in maybe a little late and the movie hasn't started. Mm-hmm. Otherwise... You start the movie right on time, and some people are going to miss the beginning. So mm-hmm. that's that's been our solution. But it's it's so strange because people love it. You know, the the curtain opens, and you know the Warner Brothers, you know, cartoon logo comes on, and everybody suddenly gets in a real happy <laughs> mood, and all is forgiven. <laughs> yeah, I thought you uh, were talking about the refreshments because that cartoon seems pretty oh, old that, as yeah. well. Uh, what's see, the origin? That's that. That's uh, let's all go to the lobby thing yeah, that yeah. we show in the beginning. We were very lucky that um, when the digital thing happened, we had to quickly, quickly. Uh, you know, we had. I think we had one unused print of that spot, and we ran it over to uh, a place to get. Uh, converted to digital, digital because we didn't want to lose that hmm, and cool. uh yeah and we're, people still like it so, yeah yeah do you think like people are into vinyl now and they say analog recording is more soothing to the ears than digital does does uh film is, is that relevant to film with uh actual film compared to to digital do you I, think it's easier on the eyes or something i think it's a subliminal effect with the with the uh the film print I can only use that ter- term. It's uh, there is something about the flicker. That, you know, film has a shutter that that spins very rapidly and uh, creates the illusion of movement. And um, I think the uh, the, sh- the the shutter effect on screen is gives a subliminal. The only word I can use is a sub- subliminal high for the viewer. Mm. Uh, that's that's different from a digital image. You know, there is no shutter for the digital image. So uh, if you don't, um, there's different types of digital too, different projectors. And I think if you don't have the projector tuned, you know, to the, to the specs and which they can go out very quickly, you know, the, the specs on a digital projector don't stay perfect. You you constantly have to have maintenance. And if you don't have it uh, tuned, I think you get anomalies like, you know, pink shades that shouldn't be pink and, uh, the picture tends to be very flat, you know, and, and kind of um, sterile. Sometimes I think digital is almost too clear, you know. Sometimes I think part of the film image is because you're talking about grain on celluloid and color and texture, and that gives it like character. I think so, and yeah. I and I think when you you know, and I'm not putting, I'm not saying digital is bad, but I think it's. You know, film still has, a, uh, it's never really gone away. You know, there's still a lot of places that show film like we're showing these classic movies. Uh, it's just not so much first run anymore. Uh, but I do, I do think that um, the film image has a, uh, uh, re- the, the, the human reaction to film is certainly subliminally different than I think it is to the digital image. That's, that's just what I think. But 
Interesting. Others may have a different opinion. Yeah, and that's also like with the frames per second. Like, do they record in twenty four? I, I think the digital is is a different frame rate. I know the uh, film is twenty four frames per yeah. second, but I believe digital is slightly faster. And I I want to say it's thirty two, but I, oh, forgive wow. me, I'm not up to my digital yeah, specs yeah, yet. Yeah. I haven't quite got it, but uh, there is a difference. There is a difference in the frame rate for for sure. That you you were like sublim subliminally. You could possibly detect. Yeah, yeah and, and I'll, you know, it's interesting about frame rates. Uh, the Hobbit series, uh, Peter Jackson, director, um, I was at a convention, and they were demoing the uh, sections of The Hobbit on, on a 48 frames per second oh, wow. rate. And what that does is it creates ultra clarity on the image. I mean, it's just, it's almost so clear. It's like you're kind of looking into a window out. Wow. And um, there's probably a lot of good things about that. But it's interesting that I haven't seen that 48 frame rate really take off. I haven't seen a lot of movies come out in that rate. And I, I think part of the problem for the audience that was at this convention watching the demo was, um, again, I think it almost made the image too lifelike to the point that it took the illusion of uh you know the shire or wherever the lord of the rings takes place you know that illusion that you go to when you're watching the movie mm. uh kind of faded away with this high frame rate you know it, be it became more like oh those are actors in in makeup mm. and costumes and that's the set and and it just it just did not so you kind of pulled the veil back on the, the magic. I of think the that's a great way of saying there. it. Yeah, it kind of took the veil off, yeah. and uh, maybe that's why you don't see it so much. Um, a lot of hotels, when I travel, I notice have their broadcasts on television uh, in in a higher frame rate. So everything kind of has a tendency to look a little bit more real than it would normally look. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's good, but in other ways, I don't think it's so good. I think part of the thing about going to the movies is you want to escape reality yeah and if the the frame rate brings you back to reality i don't know how fun that is that's really interesting <laughs> yeah um when did your interest in film begin how, uh, how young a long you? time yeah. ago uh when i was about um maybe like i'd say eight seven wow. or eight yeah that's my young. dad uh got me a battery operated eight millimeter uh projector oh cool with a football film and a mighty mouse film or cool. whatever it was yeah. and you know i had all these christmas things there to open and the second i opened that i wasn't really interested <laughs> nothing else matters. i wasn't really interested in seeing what else they got <laughs> uh it didn't you know whatever the toys were uh, all i suddenly just wanted to do was you know go to the camera department at the uh K local kmart and buy movies or you know, soon thereafter, uh, he gave me a, uh, a camera, a movie camera, and then we started, you know, making our, our little movies. And um, that's cool. You know, then I get, finally was old enough to get a job, got a job in a movie theater. And yeah, so it's like the Godfather. Every time you try to get out, they <laughs> pull you back in is the only thing I can say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you were that young and you were um, playing movies on the projector, did you enjoy putting on like like having your own like little movie theater and showing movies to people did I that did. started at a young age I did do that and there weren't very many kids around that had uh, a movie projector and film so, so everyone was coming over to your yeah, place they well I think they they were uh, they were I mean look I was not really the sports guy yeah. I, you know I didn't play football I didn't yeah. do any of that stuff and this was kind of the way that I connected to the the, the kids and um you know, the the older I got and the more that technology kind of 
evolved, if you will, uh, with the eight millimeter technology at that time. You know, they would movies would uh, the quality would get better, the the, the running times would get longer, mm-hmm. uh, the subject matters would increase. You could buy more and more, and um, yeah. And then when we would make our own, that was the best because a lot of the kids were in the neighborhood were actually in the movies. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, uh, I remember also in uh, high school, you know, the back in those days, people, uh, schools still like they do today, had fundraisers. And, you know, one year I just said, listen, um, I have, here's how many movies I have. You know, these were these are short movies. They would condense the entire uh, Alfred Hitchcock psycho down to 18 minutes. They would condense the whole movie where they would take a little bit from the beginning, a oh. little bit from the middle, and then have the ending. And it was all within like 19 minutes on a reel. And I would show the uh, teachers that I had these, and I said, why don't we do, this can be your fundraiser, and we'll charge everybody a dollar. You know? yeah. And they'll get, instead of going to study hall, they'll get to go to the movie, the little theater under the, the school, and watch That's an hour's cool. worth of these short movies. And it was just an enormous, the, the school made tons of money. I wow. mean, I probably should have charged You should have got a cut. Yeah, I, I, I probably should have. I, I probably should have. So, yeah, in answer to your question, yeah, I just, I've always kind of been inclined to, to do this sort of thing. Just curious, why did they shrink the movie down? To- uh, because, you know, uh, first of all, they were very expensive. You know, a 20-minute black-and-white movie was, uh, I think it was like $49. This was back in like 1978 or 77. Oh, some, wow. And back, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, I had to save my money to, to sure. buy them. But, um uh, only as the format, uh, uh, you know, uh, grew, I think in the early 80s, they started releasing features and you could buy the whole Psycho, but it was like 369 bucks to buy the oh movie on film. And yeah. and don't forget, there was no, there was no home video. Mm. There was hardly any cable. There were three networks. So if you, back in those days, if you were to go out and buy an entire movie, that was... That's a big deal. You could watch it whenever you wanted. Yeah. I don't know how many times you want to watch Psycho, but... Yeah. But, um, you know, and it was more than that. They had things like, um, you know, Gone with the Wind and, uh, you know, some Disney films. And, you know, they were, you know, there's a little group of collectors out there now that, I don't know, maybe there's 500 of them that still collect. There's there's a few places that still manufacture in Germany. They manufacture Super 8 movies with sound. And there's still a little group that, excuse me, that collects. So, yeah. Are those? Do they still hold value? Like if one of those movies uh, they're costs still, today? They're still expensive. You know, they're still you know a, a new movie today is even more expensive. Probably like five hundred and fifty bucks wow. to buy a whole movie. But the quality is so much better than yeah. it was back in the seventies. And um, uh, you know, it's it's a finite group. But again, it's for that person that really wants to see something on a, uh, a with a film projector, not not on digital and not uh, on your DVD player. So. Interesting. And yeah. uh, just one last question about this. Um, do you remember any of the movies that you made? Does one stick out to you? Did you write them? Most of them were horror films. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> as bloody as we could make them. Yeah. Yeah, they, they really were. They. Uh, I mean, I think we made one called The Halloween Murders, and we made one called The Garden Murders. The Halloween Murders before the, the, the Garden Murders was, was actually first, and that did so well with the, the kids that yeah. we said, well, let's make a sequel. We'll make The, the Halloween Murders. And... Uh, and then John Carpenter came along. <laughs> kind of influenced. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, uh, or vampire movies. We would make, you know, Dracula movies. Um, I, I don't think we made... 
uh, any comedies at all. Uh, they were mostly of the, of the violent <laughs> horror nature with a lot of killing and blood. Um, you know, the only time I think we actually did something different was uh, there were some... Um, school contests where people would enter science there was usually science and we would always make a movie uh instead of do some science project and right. uh it was one movie was called horoscope about uh, future events and this is like 1978 so we wrote a script about things that might happen in the future you know uh, cool. things like that uh there was one called pardon my patent about the world of patents how people are able to not get their products and ideas stolen um and i'm trying to remember there were three of them and uh oh, oh uh, halls of torture was the first one strangely enough about torture methods in medieval times wow and all three of them i think we won the you know the the top prize primarily not because they were good but because there was just nobody there look i I've left this part out. I uh, it was uh, I grew up in the Midwest in Kansas City, mm-hmm. and that's where I I was until I was eighteen. And mm-hmm. believe me, in Kansas City, Missouri, nobody had a movie camera and nobody had a projector and nobody even knew really what it was back then. Yeah. And so I think that the the little movies we made did so well, be- partly because of that. I mean, maybe they're okay, but the the truth is is that you know not everybody was doing it. So, of course, they're going to be, oh, people are going to be interested in yeah. something they can't see anywhere else, right? Monopoly. <laughs> but that sounds like pretty cool times, and it sounds like you came up with some pretty cool ideas and, and, uh, and yeah. movies. You know, look, yeah. if, I, uh, if, if I was a braver person, I would have gotten into the movie-making part mm. of... The, was that ever your intention? That was my intention yeah. of moving to California is yeah. I was going to do just that. Yeah. But when I found out what you have to do to get there, right. and uh, most people are freelance and right. you got to be a waiter or right. something to, to, you know. Sustain I, a living. Yeah, and I tell you, I, I, uh, I admit it. I'm just too much, was too much of a coward, probably still am. And, um, you know, I had moved out from Kansas City where I was a manager at uh, 18 of a movie theater out there. And I moved here and I was kind of like used to doing everything and making decisions and on film sets you know I, I did get one film gig as a production assistant it was yeah. called the new monkeys back in the 80s it was okay. a, it was a, it was like a 16 week series on m- the, the monkeys that were in the 60s but this was the new monkeys okay. so it was a bunch of 80s guys with long hair and stuff okay. and I was a production production assistant and I just counted the days you, you know didn't like it Oh, I just no. couldn't wait for it to end. You're used to being the well, boss. I was just used to. I would see them do things that, to me, didn't like. Why are Why are they doing that? Yeah. It's like it's costing more money to do that, and right. people were walking around with wads of money and hundreds and flip, flipping them all. And I'm just going, man, Whoa. why are they doing that? Yeah. <laughs> so I just didn't work out for me, and that's why I just ended up staying where I'm at. And uh, but I would have liked to have done done the other thing if you know if I could have I suppose if I retire maybe what was the journey for you from Kansas City out here did you drive did you I did uh yeah. when the, the final move uh yeah at 18 I just uh I just you know Kansas City is a great place to grow up from uh from that standpoint as far as giving you a comparative comparison of a what you know a foundation yeah. I'm not saying it's the foundation or the right foundation, but it certainly uh, it's a different world there than it is in Los Angeles. There's just mm-hmm. no two ways about it. 
even today, I think it's different. And when I go back there, I notice it's just a diff- different world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm happy I had that because I think it's kind of like kept me balanced here with, with certain things that maybe it wouldn't be balanced if you had just been here yeah. or in a big, big city, any big city probably. Sure. Um, so yeah, the journey was, uh, looking back on it at 18. Yeah, it was, was that it, scary it was pretty, pretty daring to be, yeah. you know, traipsing off. And, uh, I had a job. I think that's the only reason, you know, man theaters who employed me in Kansas city, um, offered me a job here. Cause I told him like when I was 16, I said, if you ever want anybody in California, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. guy. Yeah. And they said, well, yeah, yeah. And I never thought they'd call, but they did. And when I got here, um, I didn't know where, where it was going to be, and I didn't care. I just was happy to have a job. But my first theater here was the Chinese theater when it was just the Chinese. That's the first oh, theater. Wow. And believe me, when I found out that's where I was going wow. to be, I thought I had really made it. I yeah. said, oh, now I'm, you know, I didn't realize that the salary was only $150 a week. <sighs> and, you know, uh, it was going to be, you know, 60 hours, uh, you know, it wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't. Well, nothing is, is it? Nothing good is easy, but, um, you know, it's still, uh, I think in, in looking at all, you know, I'm glad I did what I did. I'm glad I just went ahead and came on out and, uh, uh, you know, yeah, there were some bad times. I think my bad year was like 1980. It was a pretty bad year where I really was like at the point where I was either, should I just go back Yeah. or should I stay here? You know, and my parents had pretty much said, you know, if you want to stay, go ahead and stay, but we're not sending any more money. Yeah. And that, in reality, that was the best thing they could have ever done. Sure. Because once they said that, I really kind of like got tunnel vision and said, okay. Got to put the nose to the grind. Now, no more fooling around. Yeah, yeah. Party's over. Yeah. Got to get with it. And then I, you know, I did. So. Oh, uh, was there something that, that made you... To- stay was there a voice that uh well i just didn't want to go back to kansas city yeah i i i really knew that that was not for me living there i i i just did not want to uh, move back to the midwest Mm -hmm. and uh i wanted to stay here and uh, i also knew i had kind of got myself into the 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 negative predicament that that i got into in 19 it was really nobody else's fault but my own i did it to myself and um i don't quit easy so i I just figured, you know, I'm going to get myself out of this some way. Sure. And, you know, and I, I think I was in my car for like six weeks, literally. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was li- living in the car. and Oh, wow. Yeah, and, you know, I guess it's homeless. You could call I me. Mean, I was literally literally knocking on people's doors to take showers, and you would find out very quickly who your friends are, by the sure. way, when that happens, how many people <laughs> you really have as friends. Sure. But, you know, it's all good that that happened because it was a real... Um, it, I needed it. It was a real kick in the butt and, um, I really did, uh, need that need to be slapped around and, um, I did get out of it and I got, an, I got another job and, uh, I worked two jobs for a while to just recover and make a lot of money, you know, and actually not have to worry anymore about money. And, um, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, when your back's to the wall, sometimes you, you know, you it's really sometimes the best medicine show. Yeah, it shows your true grit and your determination. And, you know, or you learn a lot about yourself. You yeah. find out that, you know, you're supposed to do something else. Right. And I think that's really where I was at is like, yeah. if I don't make it, I got to I'm going to have to do something else. And right. luckily, I didn't have to to go back. <laughs> so when did things start turning around? At what point? Um, did- I think it was like, like I said, 1980 was a really bad terrible time yeah. and then 1981 when i got a job um 
I um, this was at the theater. No, I actually got a job at 20th Century Fox oh. in the film distribution uh, department of all places in Beverly Hills. Wow! And uh, that's where they were at the time. And uh, in those days, uh, film distribution to theaters, which is where I got the job at, was a fairly big business. They had, you know, three or four bookers that would book the movies into the theaters. They had three or four salesmen with company cars. They had, oh, wow. you know, what they called bidding, where the theaters would bid for the movies and agree to play them for eight to 12 weeks at a time at 70% film rental. Wow. And that's just a different world, but that's yeah. the world it was. And, um, you know, once I got that job, um, which was really, you know, I, I, for some reason I thought that's, I should make a change and stay in film distribution. And I did get it and, uh, stayed there for a while. But what happened is I got a, a call from a friend that worked at the, um, national screen service, which provided all of the posters to movie theaters. And he said, Hey, somebody's looking for a manager at a movie theater. And I was game. I wanted to, you know, recover and make money. And I said, well, let me go interview. I did. It was the El Rey Theater on Wilshire Boulevard, which is now a um, nightclub. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so what I was doing is working the uh, Fox and the El Rey as the manager with no day off and, you know, eight eight to five at Fox and then an hour and then six to midnight at the El Rey and just grinding, grinding, grinding. And, um, you know, it was going on for maybe a year, and then um, the theater was showing uh, revival movies, you know, classic, uh, even back then, like, uh, you know, old movies. Mm -hmm. And um, one night, they had The Godfather Part Two, which is a very long movie. Mm -hmm. And um, back then, you know, there it was, you know, projection where you had to change reels, and the last reel is on, and it's maybe like nine, ten minutes. And so I said, well... Movie's almost over, and I was pretty tired. I said, I'll just sit here in the chair and wait till it's over. Well, I dozed off, and when I woke up, the film was flapping away, and I said, oh, I must have dozed off. How embarrassing. I, I feel bad for the audience. Well, yeah. I'll go down and close. Well, when I went downstairs, it was 8 o'clock in the morning, oh, and I had slept the entire night. Yeah, yeah. And that is when I knew you were shot. You were, that it yeah, was time. Exhausted. I had to pick one or the other, yeah. and I gave notice to Fox and then stayed with the uh, the movie theater. I, what, what can what, I say? Yeah, what led to your decision to... Um, you know, I think the, the idea of being at the office, which Fox was an office, yeah. and coming in on Mondays, oh, how's your weekend? Yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. you want to go to lunch? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that routine. And could, Lance, could you come in and change the water, please? Office. Sure, sure. Yes, yeah. The bowling league uh, that they had, you know, and all that... that office world which right. i'm not i'm not even saying it's a bad world it's just it's not for you well i just didn't want to be at a desk all the time yeah. and the theater was mobile and right more active. exciting uh maybe and uh i just found it more creative because yeah. when things would come up you know you'd have to create a solution and you know at uh, the office it was kind of like a regimented you know routine yeah. nine to five pretty much grind. it was you could depend on what was coming and yeah how it was going to be. <laughs> so those departments were very small back then compared to today. They're much larger. You're talking about the distribution? The distribution No, actually, distribution was enormous back then. The oh, film, it was enormous. I yeah. said there was only like four or some odd people. Oh, well, that was a lot. Compared oh. to today, yeah, I yeah. think one person in each film office handles the film sales, the billing. Oh, wow. All of it. And there's just... There, so there's a lot of cuts then. So the, the whole thing has been destroyed yeah, because, yeah. you know, these days, uh, I don't... You probably notice movies don't have a... They don't last very long. I mean, they, right. they do well on week one and then they drop 50 to 60% on week two. 
And then by the week three, they're almost off to, you know, streaming land. Uh, which is which varies or uh, differs rather from a couple decades ago. So we're, we're just for Jurassic Park, sure. for example. How long was Jurassic Park like there, in the theater? That's a great uh, one to compare. Even back then, uh, with uh, with the media that was was available for consumers back then in the '90s, early '90s, uh, Universal sold that film on eight week deals. You had to play the movie eight weeks. Wow! And it was multiple seventies. I think it was like four weeks at seventy percent film rental, and then sixty percent the final four weeks. Very expensive proposition, but everybody wanted it, and, um, and that's like an eternity. It's an today. eternity now. You, yeah. I mean, I think the last time we actually played a movie that long was like Titanic. Wow, the movie Titanic. Yeah, yeah. And I think we played it and played it, and then it went off for two weeks for uh, another Leonardo DiCaprio film, which was like <laughs> some medieval thing they did. It was uh, yeah. the Man in the Iron Mask. Okay. And that didn't do too well. And then Titanic came, came back, back after that for like two more weeks. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now these days distribution is, um, you you would not be able to really make a career in it because there's just no positions anymore. I mean, there's no branch managers. There's no district managers. There's no office manager. I'm just thinking of all the positions Fox mm, had. Yeah. You know, there's no secretary to greet people as they come in. There's nothing. And this is because things are just so much more ephemeral today. They change so quickly. It's just, I think it's it's kind of gone where you just kind of know that mo- most movies are, you know, they're going to be big on the first week and then they're going to drop yeah. in half. And you, I don't know if you want to start noticing, but studios pull advertising after the first week. You don't see it on television anymore. Right. Trailers, spots. You hardly hear about it. It's just like it goes on autopilot. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, I think the reason they cut back is um, they don't really need anybody anymore. I mean, our film buyer who books our theaters, look, we've had a long, long relationship with the guy. I think he's one of the best film buyers uh, anywhere. I don't think you could do better than him. But even the way it is today, there's not much negotiation. There's, um, you know, the, the studios say, hey, if you want to play this movie, it's, you know, 50% or it's 55%. And there's no... Well, we don't. We think that's too much. That's yeah. too much money, and they'll say, "Well, you don't have to play the movie," because there's just so many places that they can play it. And if the audience doesn't go pay their ten dollars for us, they're just going to go a mile or two down the road, and they'll pay it at the ArcLight in their minds. Yeah. So that's really the the, the cold hard way things are right now. I don't think people really understand that when they go to see a movie that the venue is only making a portion of the ticket sales. Well, you know, they're not supposed to really, they're going there to, uh, to get away. Sure. Uh, sure. But, but if they ever wonder, well, why are concessions, you know, $5 for a bag of popcorn? Well, that's part of the reason. Uh, it's, uh, it is because, you know, and, and, uh, you know, uh, the Disney company who is truly, truly so big now, I don't know if you read, they, they bought Fox. They actually bought 20th century Fox. They own the Simpsons now. Yeah. Uh, and among other things that Fox has, uh, so they um, they ha- they are just so huge that they can command if, if, if truly almost anything they want. Because if you don't want to play Lion King coming out this summer, you're you're gonna you're gonna lose because that is a big movie that's coming out this summer, um, and you certainly want to play what the you know the the best movie is of the week that you're playing and. Disney can, you know, dictate and say, 
look, Lion King's a big commodity and, and we want all of the box office or we want most of it or whatever it is and there's not much you can do about it. If you think. Yeah. You could say I'm not playing it and they'll say okay. Then it's your loss. I think so because yeah. they're the ones that are holding the copyright. So yeah. it, it's, it's difficult that, you know, that a company gets as big as Disney. And I'm not suggesting or saying that Disney, Disney has a great team over there. We have a good relationship with Disney. They have certainly taken care of us. They've been team players. They have made uh, concessions with us that maybe they wouldn't make normally after years of uh, the relationship has been going. But um the company itself, though, owning so much and have, look, they have Star Wars, they have Pixar, yeah. they have all of the Fox movies now, The Simpsons, Marvel, Marvel, and the Disney Library. Yeah. Do the math. Yeah. It's, it's so enormous that you really cannot afford not to, to be in business with Disney, can you? Um, yeah. Does someone step in and then break them up like a monopoly like could somebody break them up yeah you know i think if they were going to break them up they would have done it they already done it i mean that somebody nobody stood in the way of them buying fox yeah and they did they wow. own fox now wow yeah so it's the way it is um and what's the process when you pick a movie or 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 enter a deal to show a movie uh, at, at your theaters. Uh, can you kind of walk us through that process? Like, how does that work? The, how you get a movie? Yeah. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's, it's almost to the point where they could, they could just have a, uh, a website. I mean, that's the point it's at. They could have oh, that's a website. It. It's not like you're meeting, it's, having it's, a It's really down. not the way that it is now, but it's heading in that way, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. the, the terms of the, of the licensing are pretty much set in stone. And if, because they are, you don't really need to be talking to anybody, do you? Because if they're firm on what they want, There's no they just put it on the screen and yeah. play, press yes, you're going to play it, or no, you're not, and sign uh-huh. here. And But yeah, in the old days, you would negotiate. You would say, you know, hey... It, we, you know, three weeks at 70% is too much. How about, you know, two weeks at 70 and one week at 60 and one week at 50? And, you know, that's why they had the bidding back then, because companies would bid on movies and whoever gave the best deal would get the movie. So is it the st- like streaming services or or not as many people going to the theater as there there was decades ago or what, what's I the think reason? The, the streaming and just the accessibility to product so quickly you know the window of release for a movie is now 60 to, 60 to 90 days you know the movie hits you know uh, Endgame Avengers literally is it's still on screen but you know it's going to be on DVD and streaming in a matter of weeks from now right now it's not the same as seeing it in a movie theater and i'll always say that it's not the same experience but um i think that's what's um caused the changes in um in the release pattern as to how films are released and uh the the methods because there's just so many uh forms of media now i mean netflix and your your computer uh dvds are even i don't even Think, I think the DVD market is completely wrecked. Right. Um, and cable, you know, pay-per-view, Roku, I could just, you could just go on and on. 
because yeah, back in the day when you'd actually have to go to Blockbuster or right. something to get the movie, it just seemed it like was a different a, world. Almost a year or something, maybe from the movie to the the time you could go and rent it or that's what's in the changed. Ballpark. Yeah, that's what's changed, and uh, and I don't see any going back. But you know, I, I tell you seriously, that, and I'll I mean it. I think that um, the theater experience. There's nothing that you know you can do all of this in your house. You could even have a home theater if you want, but. Seeing a movie on a uh, in a large room on a large screen with uh, a group of aliens, people that you don't know, and whatever kind of movie it is, you're all laughing together mostly, or being afraid together, or being excited together, or whatever the emotional reaction is. You, you're that experience is um, you know you you don't not going to get that in your home because there's too many distractions. It's that communal experience Total of being communal. with a group of people, like going to a concert or something. Same thing, good good one, concerts, yeah. You have that same experience when you're listening to the music and suddenly the audience kind of becomes one and uh, everybody's a friend and it's the same thing most of the time in a movie theater. I mean, that's that's the reaction and you can see it. You know, when I stand behind and watch an audience, you know, you can see the reactions. You've already seen the movie so you know when they're coming and... Uh, that's a great thing to watch. I always, always like doing that. Do you think that's going to be passed down to these newer generations that are used to seeing getting like sort of instant gratification with like, you know, when I was growing up, if I wanted to learn about something, I had to go to the library and get a book. Now you could just Google it. It's just like instant, you know, and, um, the, the generations that are including myself nowadays, where I, I, if I think about all the time I spend behind screens, it's like three quarters of the day. You know, but uh, do you think communal experiences will matter as much to them, to the newer generations? That, well, uh, I think I, I'm hoping that the answer is yes. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but I, I will say that just over the last three years, uh, back to the Secret Movie Club, uh, these uh, people that are doing that, um, clearly the people that are coming into these classic movies are younger people than me. And um, uh, they are coming in because... A, they either they like the movie, or B, they want to see the movie on film in a format that is not very common today. And and C, they want to see it in a movie theater with a bunch of other people. Yeah. And um, I'm that's why I say I don't know for sure, but I I do hope the answer is yes that the communal thing will continue as we go along. Yeah, it seems like some things like drive-ins, like for where I am from, there's two drive-ins that are packed on Friday. They and still Saturday are. Night. Yeah, they're still packed. And I think there's uh, one around Electric Dusk, oh. dusk right? Uh, in the, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. And uh, that you know, there's nothing more enjoyable and, and fun than going to a drive-in movie and going through the whole routine of, of that. And I don't even, I haven't been myself, I'm, and I apologize that I haven't. I haven't been in ages, but I have a very good memory and I remember it clearly and I don't know if they still do all the things that you did in drive-ins back in the day when I was doing it, but it was a fun experience. And um, see, I, people, I hear all the time people say, oh, you know, we, someday theaters might go. There might not be any movie theaters. Um, I've always, and I stand by it, I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't see movie theaters going away. I, you know, the Oscars mostly, except for the recent, this last year, the Oscars are based on going to the movies and they're not based on watching it on your computer or television. It's, it's about going to the movies and I, the Oscars are not going anywhere. So I truly believe that theaters are going to stay put. Um, how many classic theaters, um, 
are going to stick around. That I don't know in the big picture. But um, as far as the movie going experience, I, I don't ever see that going away. I, I just would, I would be so surprised if that happened. And that's why I've never really been worried about it. I've just been more worried about can we, you know, our places keep going. But I've never been worried about movie theaters going away. I saw us and Avengers at Vista. Yeah. And both were um, near, nearly packed house. I'm yeah, glad to yeah, hear that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Tell me more. <laughs> so, but I, I do want to ask you about the the Vista, um, its unique architecture and design and decor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, was that there when you came in, or is that something that you added? And what's the story and the origin behind that? Well, I'll tell you. At the Vista, when we got it, um, the auditorium that you go into now indeed was there the way you see it with the Egyptian heads Mm -hmm. and the motif and the whole thing that's in the auditorium, the ceiling, um, everything in there was original, but it had uh, faded away and uh, it was in disrepair. Um, When we got it, uh, the city of Los Angeles had mandated that the building get earthquake retrofitted. So, which was good at that time because it it needed it, A, and B, there was a program where they were going to pay for it. It was like $200,000, which was an enormous amount of money considering mm. what we had just signed up for earlier, yeah. as I told you. Sure. So that that took place, and the reason I'm bringing this up is uh, I remember that the day that the construction people arrived with the steel beams, um, the first thing they were going to do was they were going to destroy the heads, the, oh, no. the Egyptian heads. They were literally going to put the beam right through the head. Oh, my God. And I got wind of it, and I said... Well, no way. Yeah. So anyway, to keep the story short and brief is we convinced them to they, it costs more money, but they, they got extra beams and they went around the heads. And then uh, we had all of these steel beams in the auditorium, many more than we thought we were going to have. And uh, then I'm, I'm, it's, it's kind of hard to tell all of this in a, in a nutshell, but we uh, at the, around that time we met a an extraordinary designer that had uh, just moved here from South Africa and was looking to get uh, established. Had a portfolio. He came in one day, said, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm a designer. Here's what I've done." I said, "I had nothing to lose again." I said, "Do me a sketch of how you envision it." He did. I went, "Holy cow! Can he really do this?" I and I it was so extraordinary. I didn't think he could, but sure enough. He came in and he he uh, created this drape design around the steel beams and this facade and the whole thing and just uh, concealed and cloaked all of the the uh, hiccups that from the retrofit uh, in the auditorium and then uh, brought in some very uh, young painters art artistic painters that came in and restored the um, the heads with with uh, paint and gold leafing and. Um, yeah, it was just a long process. You know, it just took it. It took two or three years for us to finish it, because we could only do it as we had the money. I mean, I didn't have any money, so we would get a film shoot, or they would shoot a commercial and pay a pretty good size amount of money, and we would just, you know, oh, there's three thousand dollars. Let's let's do this one today, wow. you know, or whatever. Yeah. However, we we could do it. Get it done. Yeah. So the auditorium, yes, the the. Uh, Everything was there, beat up, yes, but still there. In the uh, lobby, um, the stuff that's in there now was not there. The same designer created and said, you know, you ought to bring the Egyptians into the lobby. And he did kind of um, 
uh, create this Egyptian look that you see in the lobby, and it's free interpretation that he got from uh, his own reviews of uh, books and history history books of how everything looked, and he just kind of incorporated it all in the lobby. Uh, he also created the box office that's out there. It's an Egyptian kind of stylized box office. was not there before. Uh, the lobby doors were originally way, way, way inside the lobby where the concession stand is, and we busted that wall down and moved them out in closer to the street to create more lobby space. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, within two or three years, we just methodically... You know, piece by piece, the only time we ever closed was when they had to turn the water off for the um, uh, concession stand. They had to literally turn the water off, and we had to close for that. But the the restrooms we didn't close for. We just had all of the uh, customers use one restroom with a, a person standing there monitoring who was going in. And the seating, we would do, you know, the left section and have the middle and the right open, and then we would do the center and and so forth. And, you know, audiences, um, we never put a sign up that said, you know, hey, we're trying to do this. We just did it. And I noticed that everything we did, the audience just gradually increased along and no one seemed to care and everybody was happy that we were doing it. So it's, it was just a weird thing, you know, and this is several years ago. In fact, it's almost time for another facelift in the lobby. But anyway, that's what happened. <laughs> It's such a magnificent look, and it's such a unique look for a theater. Well, thanks. And, uh, uh, again, you know, it was a team effort. Um, you know, even our own manager at the time, um, you know, did, uh, did was a drywall. Uh, he was trying to get into construction, so he did the drywall in the uh, restrooms. Uh, one of our managers, she uh, she's now a, a psychiatrist. She contributed to doing uh, the layout for the Egyptian heads of of uh, figuring out where the gold leaf needed to be and, and what colors were in the squares, and uh, part she participated. It was truly a team effort. I, I cannot take credit for it. I, I might have written all the checks, but I did not. Um, I, I don't take credit for the thing because it truly was uh, yeah, a team effort. And the audience also is part of the team. The audience was extremely supportive and uh, forgiving and patient, and uh, you know it all just somehow it worked out. And uh, there's the handprints yeah. in the front. Yeah. Um, what's the story behind some of those, and what are some of the notable ones? Well, and, our uh, friends at Disney, again, uh, the first handprint out there is the uh, one from Ed Wood, the movie, uh, the Tim Burton film, and uh, Disney had a premiere there. Why did they have it there? Because Ed Wood's office was actually upstairs in the building. Is that right? Uh-huh, right over oh, the marquee. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's why they had it there. And look, at that time, that was 94, I believe, um, the theater had not been renovated, and um, you know it was it was kind of you know pretty slummy and and lousy, and um, we were thrilled to have the uh, the premiere there. And they approached us shortly before it was due to happen and said, "Listen, uh, Martin Landau and Sarah Jessica Parker want to uh, have agreed to do handprints out in the forecourt." Would you guys have a problem with that? And we'll take it out once they photographed it. We'll put everything back the way it was. Uh, I, I said, well, A, we're so happy that you yeah. want to do that, and B, you don't have to take it out. We'll just keep it. And they said, you sure? Because we can take it out. No, we'll keep it. And when that happened, um, I said to myself, well, this isn't the Chinese theater, but there's a lot of people that are never going to be in the Chinese theater, yeah. and I'm going to go after those people That's that deserve cool. 
to have their recognition. Yeah, or at least from my point of view. I yeah. don't know. Some of them may not deserve it. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, is that there's a lot of uh, talent out there that deserves uh, recognition, that has earned it. And I mean, we've got John C. Riley out there for That's Pete's cool. sake. And yeah. uh, uh, Ryan O'Neill, Tatum O'Neill from, uh, you know, we have them out there, which they're, they're no longer working too much. But, you know, she's an Oscar winner. And Ryan O'Neill was certainly a, uh, a big time star in his day. And um, we've got some uh, cinematographers out there, great cinematographers that uh, are brilliant uh, technician, technical people. Um, so, yeah, I'm, we have Ray Harryhausen, the animator that did all of the stop motion animation um, in the early 50s, 60s, 70s and into the 80s before digital. This was before uh, computer CGI. Uh, so, you know, who knew? <laughs> yeah. What can I say? That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and great stories from i mean all the and do you do like a ceremony when you do we do yeah we have the red carpet and uh we try to have them arrive by you know limo or suv they like it mostly i suppose these days uh yeah and we bring them up there and um that's cool yeah you know i have to tell you we've we have never lost any of you know we've always been worried that when they show up they won't want to do it you know you can't make anybody do anything right yeah well we finally did lose one. The last one we had, uh, they were doing a uh, an anniversary screening of, uh, I think it was called, yeah, it was Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cheech was there. Okay. And he was supposed to do the uh, the handprints. And uh, look, I'm telling you this only because it's it's kind of funny now. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, he was there and it was packed, you know, just yeah. totally packed. And, you know, before... We had agreed to have him out there. I, I debated it among myself, and I said, well, Cheech, you know, i got nothing against weed, but, you know, maybe, I don't know, should we put him out there? Is yeah. it, it going to be okay with everybody? And then I yeah. figured, well, yeah, he's he's in uh, Lion King, and yeah. he's done, yeah. he's, he's, he's a, done other an actor in his own yeah. right, right? So we d- agreed, and um, so the problem was when he showed up, uh, I guess everybody was so excited that, it it uh, the intros and the monologue and the the dialogue went on too long and oh, no. the cement is there and I'm going oh, you know no. we got we really got to do this yeah. now before it's too late <laughs> and by the time they stopped the cement had hardened oh no yeah and that that's the world's biggest nightmare for us when if that happens sure. it's only happened one other time wow with Elvira I don't know if you've oh, heard yeah. of her but I love Elvira yeah, yeah of course. and that's kind of a weird thing that had happened with her but we had to do her twice as at least she agreed to do it but Cheech when that happened um, the handlers were not happy and by the time the movie hit the screen they said you know we can't you know we need to he needs to go and we can't uh, oh, we can't do it so yeah. right now there's a blank space yeah. out there where we had to re-cement the hole yeah. but um there's a director that's going to do it on june 20th we're going to get director john Wu, who oh, wow. uh yeah. he's pretty iconic yeah and uh he's uh very excited and that's where he's going to be so oh, cool. that's it, a public uh yeah it's going to be a it's, it's a secret movie club again it's okay. actually going to be on uh thursday june 20th at 8 45 oh wow it's it's, a, it's, a, it's an event during uh, not midnight because this is a pretty big director yeah and uh we want to take care of him so that's who's going to be out there yeah oh wow um that's crazy so i never 
thought about that, but the cement hardening and the time of yeah. like, you know, we need to do this. Well, at a certain I, I time have otherwise. to bend your ear one last yeah, thing yeah, about yeah. cement. The yeah. only other thing that happened that was a catastrophe, kind of, but it's funny now and we're still happy <laughs> is Jack Black uh, had a movie come out called Tenacious D yeah. and they had the premiere and. You know, I just being the entrepreneurial guy, I said, hey, you know, we would love to have Jack Black do his handprints. And yeah. They said, oh, he's not going to do it. Well, they called back. Oh, yeah, he'll do it yeah. as long as Kyle Glass, the, the other part, the of other Tenacious guy, D. Tenacious D, will do it, too. And I said, of course. Yeah. So it's packed. It's just a total pandemonium. Yeah. Uh, it, and the, everybody's out there waiting. And Jack shows up. He's just flown in from New York. He's dead tired. Yeah. He's exhausted. But he's a he's a great, great guy. Yeah. And uh I say, okay, Jack, so here's your stylus, and we're getting ready to do this, and, you know, the cement's ready, so whenever you're ready, let's do it. He says, okay, you mean we can do it now? And I said, yes, right now. The next thing I know, Jack Black and Kyle Glass drop their pants and fall into the cement. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not making it up. And I'm telling you, there's photos out there of expressions and (laughs) on my face and others. Like, it was just... So unexpected. And the audience, I've never heard such a scream of, yeah. of roar. And, uh, you know, he, he, we, we got him up, you know, and obviously the imprint is... So these are butt cheeks now? I'm afraid sense? so. Okay, okay. <laughs> I just want to clarify. Rather large ones, I might add. Um, in a good way, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we get them up and Jack said, you, you still want us to <laughs> sign it? I said, if you would and date it, that'd be nice, you know. And yeah. So they do and... And just as if nothing's wrong at all, and and he said, okay, where do I go and clean up? Okay, right this way. And, you know, the the show went on, and people, it was just a big night, and Jack and uh, Kyle played live before the movie. They actually, Tenacious D, and uh, it was a big deal. But all while this was going on, we were out in the forecourt going, what are we gonna do? <laughs> How are we gonna? What are we gonna do with this? Because we certainly don't want anybody to fall into the imprints, do right, we? Right, right. And so, anyway, long story short, we had to. Uh, the prints are still there, but unfortunately, we did have to kind of. Um, I don't want to say fill them in, but we had to. Uh, make them a little bit more of a walkable nature right. because otherwise people would have literally just fall into unfortunately they were they were in the walkway yeah, that's right that's <laughs> right but w- i didn't have the uh, heart imprint. to take it out you yeah. know i just some people well you ought to just take it out and i said no 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 wait we can't do it's that it's too good of a story so i just wanted to ask you as we're wrapping up like so at the um the the Los Feliz cinema on uh, vermont mm-hmm. sometimes you show movies that are a little more obscure um and uh, cool documentaries and interesting movies. How, those movies that are not like Avengers or something like that. How do you select those movies? What's the process there? Is that a personal preference or? Um, well, again, uh, we the film buyer is uh, he's a he's a great uh, art art artist in his own right. He, he's he does a great job booking the theater. Um, at Los Feliz, you see. Um, the the rooms the largest room there is 142 seats the main auditorium the other ones are 59 so when there is a uh, what I would call a specialized movie that uh, might not have a broad audience of uh, of the masses um, at Los Feliz because the rooms are not very large um, we can afford to take you know a chance we can afford to try something out that maybe would be too scary to try at the vista with 400 seats and you know 15,000 square feet whatever the whatever the size of that building is 
Um, Los Feliz uh, enables us to be experimental and to also allow uh, artists and uh, filmmakers that, you know, uh, they, they want to get their movie on screen, but, uh, you know, they can't get into uh, the Arclight or any of the larger circuits. And primarily, it's not because people don't want them. It's because it's all, uh, you have to create income to pay the bills. And um, if, uh, if a movie's not going to generate, it's very difficult to sign up for a movie if you know you're not, you're not going to make any money. The other thing we do sometimes is uh, filmmakers that need to get their film on screen, let's say that they have a, uh, a qualification run, they need to get qualified for the Oscars or something of that nature, uh, maybe they four-wall the theater, which uh, is still very cost-effective for them. Maybe they say, hey, we need to run the movie twice a day for seven days, and what, got, what can you guys do? And, and we'll come up with a deal that's livable for them and also uh, covers us where we, we know we're not we're going to be able to pay the employees for Pete's sake. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't uh, that's the answer in a, in a broad sense. It's um, um, sometimes, you know, that we ourselves just put certain movie titles in that we think deserve to, to be on screen and uh uh, they think that there, there's an audience that will find them. Other times, there's you know people come to us and say we really, you know, we would love to play here. We want to play this area, and what can you do? And we, you know, we're I would call us very film friendly. We we you know we we want to try to to work with as many clients as we can and uh, as many filmmakers as we can, and um, that's the way we do it. Um, awesome. I, I have one other question about. The streaming services, I know like Roma. So Roma was on Netflix, mm -hmm. but it was also in the theater. Simultaneously? Uh, the, that's a good question. Roma initially was only in uh, a few movie theaters when it hit initially. Okay. Uh, Netflix uh, launched the thing only in movie theaters, and they had a strange uh, schedule. I believe it opened like on a... You know, uh, a Sunday, it, it, I believe it did, and it played for a couple of days, and then they took a little bit of a break, and then they brought it back on Friday for three days, and then they finally launched it where it was playing time, uh, you know, at the same time as Netflix as it was in a movie theater. But, yeah, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good success story right there because Roma did very well. Uh, I think it did well everywhere they played, to the best of my knowledge. It certainly did very well for us at the mm -hmm. Vista. And that's that's a movie that certainly deserved to be seen on uh, in a movie theater with an audience, in my opinion. Um, it was subtitled, and um, yeah, yeah. I, did um, Amazon do that with Suspiria? Is well? no, no. Amazon has their own uh, distribution arm, okay. and they are releasing movies. To the best of my knowledge, they're just releasing movies like a regular studio. Uh, I don't. I haven't heard very many stories about them four walling or. Uh, you know, buying out a theater to show their movie. They're just oh. basically releasing the movies as they would any other movie I understand. in the market. I, I was just wondering if that was something that's going to be possibly a trend in the future with these streaming services kind of collaborating with the theaters to do like a dual release kind of thing. You know, I have to tell you a lot of... Um, a lot of circuits uh, ex exhibitors do not want uh, they don't want to play with uh, something uh, what they call VOD uh, video uh, uh, video uh, on, you know it's the day and date with the video um, of the release so um, I, I I don't know how much of a trend it will be I think there's going to be some people like us that are mostly willing to play 
with something that's actually on Netflix or on streaming service uh, while it's in the movie theater. Because again, you're not going to get the theatrical experience on your computer screen. And the movie, you know, I think the movie itself can have a different impact in a movie theater. When you're watching it on a big screen, I think you're... It's more powerful. I think so. Yeah. I, I hope it still is. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think a lot of uh, major uh, exhibitors do not want to, you know... I, I know that people were kind of annoyed that we played Roma. You know, they, uh, the studios were not happy that... Uh, yeah, they were not happy that, really? that we played Roma because, you know, it's... And I understand it. It's... Um, you know, we're trying to nurture the theatrical experience. So here's this upstart Netflix who's got tons of money, uh, oh. you know, coming yeah. in. And, uh, yeah, we're going to let you we're going to put Roma on screen for, you know, six days or whatever it is. But then it's going to go right to Netflix. So yeah. the theory is, well, if people know it's going to hit Netflix, why would they? Oh, it's coming to the Vista. Well, in a few days, it'll be on Netflix. Let's just wait. Right. But you see, it's interesting. People didn't wait. Yeah. They didn't wait. The, 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 they the, wanted to see it on They the wanted screen. to see it and, it, and it did tons of business. In spite of the fact that they knew it was going to be on Netflix, it did tons of business even while it was on Netflix. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's just a lot of room um, for, for, uh, for media and, pr- and product uh, right now in the, in the age we're living in. I I think that, um, and there's a large audience out there. You know, there's just tons and tons and tons of people, and uh, they all want different things. And there's some that are going to watch it on their computer, and no matter where it's playing, even if it's at the Vista or Chinese Theater, they're they're not going to come. They they're just going to watch it on their computer because that's what they want to do. But then there's other people that don't want to do that, and they're going to come to the movie theater. I think there's room for everybody. Awesome. Lance, I had such a blast talking <laughs> with you, and I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. Thanks to I you, we're here. I learned a lot, um, and it was really, really fun. Was there anything you wanted to add or talk about? Is there anything coming up at the theaters that you wanted to mention or anything before we wrap it I'm up? I'm just going to, again, mention Secret Movie Club. They've got a great uh, program going. Lots of movies through the end of 2019. The host is great, and um, uh, keep your eye on that. And... Uh, uh, you know, 35 millimeter film uh, is rare these days, which uh, most of the, the prints they have are on film. So it kind of creates a different experience, warts and all, because the films are, the prints are sometimes, you know, worn. But uh, it doesn't seem to stop the audiences from having a great time. I've been watching them and they're all, they're all very happy. And that uh, just, um, I forget if we mentioned it, but that's Saturday nights. It's and, uh, actually, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Friday nights at midnight, Saturdays at midnight, Saturday mornings. And uh, I think he's doing a, a Godzilla series. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's going to start <laughs> on Sunday morning. So the guy is, uh, you know, I guess Godzilla is kind of hot right now. There, yeah, there's a new one coming out. Yeah, right? I don't or know how out? the new one's yeah. going to do. It yeah. opens on Friday. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to do, but... Um, it seems like, you know, uh, it's it's hot. I don't know why, but it seems like it's kind of hot right now. Uh, the, these are the original Toho yeah. um, movies from the 60s and 70s that he's showing. So, uh, yeah, but cool. other than that, I, again, it's a great, uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. No, you're very kind you. to let uh-huh. me come over yeah. here and uh, chat. And uh, My pleasure. I, re- I really enjoy this. Thanks very much. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you.